Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here on Stolen Lives, we discuss brutal and heartbreaking cases against children. Themes may include child murder, torture, and sexual, domestic, and child abuse. I do try my best to remain respectful for the babies in these stories and leave out unnecessary details that honestly none of us need to know to understand the frustration of why and how this ever happened. However, If you find any of these themes triggering, this podcast may not be for you. Listener discretion is advised. An American Horror Story. This is how the district attorney referred to the story you're about to hear today. This is another story of a mother selfishly choosing their boyfriend over their own children. Another story of adults who know better, yet choose to use control and power against an innocent child who look at them for love and nurture. Another story where there are so many missed opportunities for people and agencies to step in and save these boys. Both Scotty, who lost his life after days and weeks of torture, and his older brother, a little boy who now has to live with the trauma of watching his baby brother die and knowing there was nothing he could do to save him. This is Scotty's story. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Scott Jacob McMillan was born January 26, 2011, to parents Gillian Tate and Lauren McMillan. Scott, or Scotty, as he was lovingly known as, and how I will refer to him during this episode. Scotty was the second child born into this relationship. Scotty had an older brother who was three years his senior. Scotty's brother's name is out there in contemporary news articles. However, this child has been through enough and deserves his privacy while he navigates his trauma and tries to recover and live the amazing life he deserves and Scotty deserved. I will not refer to Scotty's brother by his name in this episode out of respect. Before Scotty was even born, Tate and Lauren's relationship ended, with Lauren moving to Kansas to live with his parents, leaving pregnant Tate and their son in West Kane Township, Pennsylvania. Unfortunately for Scotty, he was let down from his first breath. His father was not present for his birth and did not see him in those amazing first few days which any parent will tell you, you can't replace those days. That fresh newborn smell, their first everything. It's incredible, and it's so easy to get lost in the little love bubble. Tate and the boys would live with her sister Kim for a period of time. Obviously, having a newborn and a three-year-old is a lot of work, even with two parents involved. 
so I am sure Tate appreciated that support, and I'm sure Kim would have loved that quality time with her little nephews. And because she was around Scotty from birth, Kim and Scotty had this particularly amazing bond. She would later describe Scotty as her little scooter pop, or scooter crunch. And it wasn't just Kim. Tate's parents were also very hands-on with the boys, and took them whenever they could to give Tate a break. It really does appear that Tate had an amazing support network around her, even if the boy's father wasn't involved. She had people willing to stand up and step in to make up for that, and be there for the boys in every way possible. This factor alone is important to remember as this story continues, because Tate was never stuck in a relationship for support or a home. Tate had options available to her, even if it was just for the boys, if she wanted to stay in whatever environment. She could have still removed the boys from any situation and know they had multiple homes where they could have been safe and loved and cared for. Now, authorities have said what happened to Scotty and his brother was not related to drugs and alcohol. Which, by the way, I hate these excuses for people using substance abuse as a reason to do what they do to these babies. But in this case, it was a non-issue. Tate wasn't perfect, though, obviously. I've seen her described as promiscuous. Being a single mother to two very young boys, money was tight. And not long after Scotty was born, Tate posted an advertisement including her boys' names and photos searching for a sugar daddy. And I'm sure we all know what a sugar daddy is here. But despite of all that and a rumoured sex addiction, Tate's family would describe her as a good mother to the two boys. At this point, anyway. There were no allegations of abuse. There was no involvement of child services. She had no criminal record. Nothing to suggest she was capable of what's to come. September 2014. 31-year-old Gillian Tate got a job at the Parksburg Walmart. It was at this job she would meet 23-year-old Gary Lee Fellenbaum and his estranged wife, 21-year-old Amber. Tate and Fellenbaum would have this whirlwind romance and she would move into his trailer with the boys on October 12, 2014, only a month after meeting him and only 23 days before Scotty would be killed. It wouldn't just be Fellenbaum, Tate and the two boys living in the trailer, no. Also in this trailer was Amber, and Amber and Fellenbaum's 11-month-old daughter. And despite Amber and Fellenbaum going through a divorce, their relationship was said to be friendly. But this strange household would live in a two-bedroom trailer at 96 Hope Lane in West Kane Township, just outside Coatesville, around 35 miles northwest of Philadelphia. According to court documents, the dynamics of the house get stranger. According to court documents, all three adults were sleeping together, with Fellenbaum being the ruler of the household. He would be described as controlling. He allegedly only allowed Tate and Amber to sleep one hour at night and run the household on $5 a day. That's $5 a day for three adults and three children. But this control was not enough for Fellenbaum. He then turned his attention onto Scotty and his brother, it seemed that Fellenbaum's abuse of these two little boys started pretty much from the day they moved into the trailer. And instead of standing in and protecting her boys or packing up and leaving this horrific environment, Tate didn't. She stood by and watched. Not only that, she participated in this daily abuse. 
Abuse that immediately involved the children being beat with both blunt and sharp objects, whipped with a homemade whip, taped to a chair with electrical tape and beaten, hung up by their feet and beaten, all while their own mother watched on laughing. They were beaten with homemade weapons like an electrical cord, curtain rod, frying pan and an aluminium strip. They were starved. They were locked in a small room for entire days with no access to a bathroom. Scotty's brother would later tell police they would have to hide their feces because if they didn't, it would result in even more punishment. Amber was allegedly present for some or at least aware of this abuse. Two weeks before Scotty's death, his brother would stop attending his kindergarten classes at Rainbow Elementary. This would have been an attempt to hide the bruises on the six-year-old little boy and to stop him from telling on them. Tate and Fellenbaum did not want to risk Child Protective Services getting involved. In a later review into Scotty's death, the school district was held accountable for their lack of involvement here. For a six-year-old child to miss that much school and no other agency be called in for a welfare check or some kind of check on these children, it's an extreme failure of protection. However, after their own internal review, Superintendent Kathy Tashner said that the school district was confident that the school had no idea Scotty's brother was being abused. Quote, All procedures were followed. Employees of the district are trained to recognise signs of abuse. Unquote. According to this review, the school had attempted to make contact with Tate about her son's absences by phone, in writing and during a home visit. However, what wasn't revealed in this review was whether these attempts were successful. I would guess they weren't, because what would also be revealed in this review, the school files had not been updated after the family moved into the trailer with Fellenbaum. The school files listed an incorrect address. Monday, November 1st, 2014. Fellenbaum woke the children for a breakfast of toast and cinnamon sugar. Now, if you go without food for any length of time, your body kind of adapts for a while. You no longer feel hungry. It's hard to swallow food and you throw up. I imagine this sick feeling would only be intensified for Scotty and his brother, who had also been beaten around the stomach and head. Eating may have been painful for them and made them feel sick and nauseous. And this is exactly what happened on this morning to Scotty. Fellenbaum stood over the three-year-old, threatening him if he didn't eat his food. And little Scotty did try, but kept spitting it out, unable to swallow. Tate joined in at this point, and she and Fellenbaum tried to force the toast into Scotty's mouth, but he still wouldn't swallow. This angered Tate and Fellenbaum further. Fellenbaum would punch Scotty in the face so hard he fell off his chair. This would not stop Fellenbaum, who would then punch Scotty in his stomach as he laid in the fetal position on the floor, doing what he could to protect himself against the onslaught. Both adults then took Scotty into a room where, according to Scotty's brother, they continued punching him. At some point, Fellenbaum picked up the child by his back and slammed him into the wall, causing a sizable hole. The following day, Tuesday, November 2nd, 2014, Scotty woke up with a very red and swollen face. Again, Scotty was unable to eat. Fellenbaum would later tell police he found this disrespectful, and because Scotty disrespected him, 
the boy needed to be punished. Felon Balm punched Scotty, who had no strength left, and like the day prior, he fell off his chair. Felon Balm picked him back up and taped Scotty to the chair with electrical tape around his ankles and wrists. Scotty then became a human punching bag, with Felon Balm punching the little boy over and over and over. This is a grown man weighing 275 pounds beating on a tiny three-year-old. But this abuse caused Scotty to vomit and lose consciousness. Scotty McMillan would never wake up. According to court documents, Tate and Fellenbaum did try and wake Scotty up by putting him in an ice bath for 30 minutes and changing his clothes. Fellenbaum believed Scotty's unconsciousness was another form of disrespect. They left him on an unflated air mattress and left the house to go car shopping and to get pizza. When they returned, Scotty was still unresponsive and barely breathing, and in obvious need of immediate medical attention. But instead of calling 911, Tate, Amber and Fellenbaum found it much more important to eat their pizza and have sex. Before Tate, upon checking on Scotty again, Tate called out for Amber to call paramedics. She couldn't even be bothered calling for emergency responders to help her own son. Paramedics rushed to the trailer, but they were unable to revive Scotty either. He was taken to Dewpoint Children's Hospital, where doctors pronounced him dead on arrival. It is believed Scotty lie there dying on the deflated air mattress, with his brother sitting next to him, powerless to save him. Scotty's injuries were nothing like doctors and nurses had ever seen. Quote, Our ER nurses see a lot of terrible things, but when they saw his body, they wept. Unquote. Scotty was severely malnourished and underweight. He had severe bruising, lacerations and puncture wounds, covering every inch of his head and body. He had been bleeding from the nose, mouth and ears. There was not a place on his body where there wasn't an injury. He was a fucking baby, three years old. Seeing photos of this kid, his red hair and almost clear blue-green eyes, still holding onto that baby chubby face, Tate should have protected him and his brother. But now he isn't to be anymore. He won't get his first day of school. He won't get that excitement of losing his first tooth. He won't get anything. And now his brother will have to carry with him that survivor's guilt. Not old enough to fully understand that there was nothing he could have done to save his brother. That he had to save himself. And if Scotty didn't die that day, maybe it would have been him or both of them. Scotty's brother would be taken to hospital himself in Delaware. He also had severe bruises and lacerations that needed medical treatment. He was placed into the care of close family members who have since formally adopted him, finally putting him in an environment where he can feel safe and loved, not having to worry about when the next beating will be. Amber and Gary Fellenbaum's baby daughter was also removed and placed into foster care. Thankfully, she was not injured. Although, who knows how long it would have been until she too suffered from the wrath of Fellenbaum's anger. The morning after Scotty's death, both Tate and Fellenbaum were arrested and charged with murder. They were additionally charged with aggravated assault for the beatings of Scotty's brother. It was announced that the prosecution were going to seek the death penalty against the couple. Because under Pennsylvania law, murder preceded by torture is a death penalty offence. 
You know, I never used to support the death penalty. I thought it was barbaric and that everyone should get a chance of rehabilitation, even if they are never to be released. Since starting this podcast, though, there are cases where I would be front row to see these monsters just get what they deserved. They don't deserve to live in this world anymore. Tate and Fellenbaum were denied bail. Chester County District Attorney Thomas Hogan fronted the news media to announce the arrests, telling waiting reporters, quote, Let me tell you about an American horror story. Little Scotty McMillan is dead. Over a three-day period, he was systematically tortured and beaten to death. He was punched in the face and stomach. He was scrounged with a homemade whip. He was lashed with a metal rod. He was tied to a chair and beaten. He was tied upside down by his feet and beaten. His head was smashed through a wall. Unquote. The night of the arrests, candlelight vigils were held at the Gateway Church in Parksburg. The service was led by Pastor Scott Feather, quote, Our church is going to be open just for a place for people to go, to be quiet and honour him. Unquote. During the vigil, some who knew Fellenbaum commented that he suspected he was capable of violence. Quote, there were signs. He was very threatening. He seemed like a scary, angry, threatening man. Unquote. And the community really came together for these boys. Local residents raised money and donations for Scotty's brother, a trust fund being set up so he could go to college one day and live the life he deserved. They donated toys and clothes, anything they could do to help Scotty's brother and his new guardians adjust and recover, and space to grieve for Scotty. James J. Terry Funeral Home in Downington announced they would cover all the costs for Scotty's funeral. Amber Fellenbaum cooperated with police and prosecution during the investigation into Scotty's death. She was even prepared to testify against her estranged husband. And when it was her turn to address the court, she did not attempt to minimise her involvement in Scotty and his brother's abuse and Scotty's murder. However, she too was a victim of Fellenbaum's abuse. He had beaten on her and, as we discussed earlier, he was financially abusive. Amber told the judge now she's free from Fellenbaum's control, she had turned her life around. She had started therapy and found God. Quote, I fully understand what I did was wrong. If I'd only been more involved with what was going on around me, Scotty would be alive today. I am sorry. I did nothing. I failed as a person. Scotty deserves justice. Unquote. Amber pled guilty to charges of child endangerment for failing to help Scotty. Because despite the fact she was the one who ultimately called 911, it was too late at this point. Scotty had already been unresponsive for hours. She admitted to her crimes. She admitted to witnessing the abuse. That she knew there was a problem when she saw Fellenbaum hit Scotty across the head with a frying pan around two weeks before his death. But she still chose to do nothing. Amber Fellenbaum was sentenced to a state prison term of six and a half to 16 years. Four and a half to nine years for Scotty's death, and two to seven years for the beating suffered by his older brother. Much more than the three years her attorney had requested. Gillian Tate addressed the court before sentencing, pleading for leniency. That while she had no excuse for her crimes, she accepted responsibility for her son's death. 
However, she claimed that she too was a victim as well as her boys and Amber. That Felonbaum manipulated her mental health issues and kept her in a, quote, virtual prison in my own home, unquote. In a long statement to the court, Tate told the judge, quote, I wish to God I had my life back. If I never met Gary, then my son Scott would be alive. I am truly repentant. I wish I could take it all back, unquote. Gillian Tate negotiated a plea deal, where she would plead guilty to third-degree murder and testify against Felon Balm at his trial. For her role in the murder of her three-year-old son, Scotty McMillan, and the aggravated assault on his six-year-old brother, Gillian Tate was sentenced to 42 to 94 years in prison. As Tate was in her early 30s, she will most likely spend the rest of her life incarcerated, where she belongs. Judge William P. Mann addressed Tate directly in sentencing, quote, So the record is clear. I have gone outside the guidelines on some of these sentences. I have done so because I can't imagine a factual scenario more horrific than this. I can't imagine an abduction of parental responsibility, one that conspires with another human being to do this to your own children. It tugged at the fabric of our entire society, unquote. Now Tate appealed her sentence, believing her sentence should be lighter because she showed remorse. Because that really makes up for what you did to your baby. Oh, you are sorry, well, run off then, all's forgiven. I don't think so. The appeal was declined, obviously, and the sentence was upheld. Fellenbaum's defence team attempted to get the trial moved out of Chester County, citing significant pre-trial publicity and the anger within the community about what happened to Scotty as a reason for this, that Fellenbaum would not get a fair trial, that it would be impossible to find an unbiased jury. And then Fellenbaum tried to fire his defence team because he wanted to represent himself. The sheer madness of this idea led Judge Mann to order a psychiatric evaluation. Now, Felon Balm was determined to be competent to stand trial, and the request to move the trial out of the county was declined. During the pre-trial hearing, Felon Balm claimed he had spanked Scotty, quote, a very limited amount, unquote. September 2015, Gary Felon Balm pled guilty to the first-degree murder of Scotty McMillan. Now, the only reason this guilty plea came to be was to avoid going to a jury trial, where he would have been almost guaranteed to receive the death penalty. But not only that, for the prosecution. It spared them having to put Scotty's brother through a trial where he would have been expected to testify and he had been through enough. Scotty's brother basically spared Felonbaum's life where he, a grown man, could not do the same to a three-year-old. Gary Felonbaum will spend the rest of his life in prison and then some. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus an additional 10 to 20 years for the abuse of Scotty's big brother. And Scotty's brother's bravery is astounding. He wrote two letters to be read as part of the victim impact statements in court. The maturity and strength in these letters are beyond his young years. The first was to his mother, quote, Dear Mum, in November 2014, you, Gary and Amber were trapped in a house of torture. The torture was you guys. The victims were me and Scotty. Scotty got killed. I got beaten. You were the worst mother I've ever known. You just watched us get hurt. 
I wish you never met Gary. He is really evil. He nearly killed me. You are the reason Scotty got killed. I thought parents were supposed to protect us. Now you are in jail for your time out. And the second was to his brother. A brother he loved more than anything and tried to protect but couldn't. He barely walked away with his own life. Quote, Dear Scotty, I am so sorry that you got killed by Gary. I was trying to protect you. I have good news and bad news. The good news is Gary is in jail. The bad news is you are in heaven and not with me. Scotty's uncle, who was now raising his older brother, also gave a victim impact statement. He said he and his wife taking in this little boy was the only, quote, decent thing that has come out of this case, unquote. And, quote, I am not sure which child is more unfortunate, unquote. Referring to Scotty losing his life just as it was starting, or his brother, for having survived to live with the memory of being beaten and watching his brother's torture. Scotty's uncle also spoke directly to Tate, quote, I know you want to be forgiven. I acknowledge your life has not been attractive, but life presents us all with challenges you just have to navigate. Parents are responsible for the health and safety of their children. You had so many places you could have gone. Instead, you selfishly participated in the abuse of your own children. Scotty died alone on the floor. His brother watched and he was alone. Ultimately, they were your responsibility. You should have protected them. Unquote. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Mayu.